A federal judge says the affidavit used to raid former President Trump's South Florida home should not be sealed. Attorney for media organizations Deanna Shulman says after the Justice Department files a redacted affidavit by next Thursday, a judge will take a look at it. He will review those materials and he will enter an order specifying what information, if any, will remain sealed. Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 10.50 a.m., 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to The Water Zone Show this evening. Well, a pleasant good afternoon to everybody listening. Welcome to The Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies, and uh, we're having a great afternoon Chris, how are you doing up in uh, California today? Rob Star, we're doing great, buddy. I'm telling you, we got some of that uh, clouds and monsoon stuff coming over into the eastern uh, Los Angeles basin, known as the Inland Empire here. And I know that you you got walloped yesterday. I saw a picture of a tree falling over where you were. Yeah, there had to be probably close to almost 300 trees throughout the uh, community here. And uh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> And uh, we had uh, my property. I had three. Three went down, and uh, it was a mess. I mean, you could you couldn't even drive your car on the street to get past the trees that were on the street. It was that bad. The rain was unbelievable. I mean, coming down worse than buckets. Uh, wind had to be at least fifty, sixty miles an hour. It was almost, I was a tornado was coming. It was so it was so bad. And uh, but now it's uh, starting to cloud up again. We should have some more thunder showers tonight. And then they said the real big ones are coming tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, I, I need Good that. Luck with that. No, no wind or rain here, but uh, it's a little bit cooler, but it's also a little more humid. So, uh-huh. you know, you trade one for the other, right? So, got a great guest coming on. Rob, why don't you bring him on the show? Actually, we have two great guests coming on. We have uh, uh, one of the largest, or is the largest, uh, family-owned landscape uh, maintenance company in the United States for Gothic Landscaping. They're a pretty big outfit. Uh, we have uh, Miss Nana excuse me, Ms. Nada Duda, who's the Chief Operating Officer of the Maintenance Division, and Nick uh, DePasquale, who's Executive VP in the L.A. County area. So uh, welcome, Nada. Welcome, Nick. Thank you for having us on the show. We're very excited to talk about uh, landscape, water, and, and uh, gothic. Yes, absolutely. So tell us, tell, for we, Chris and I, uh, obviously, we... I have to say this to our audience. I know that you use sometimes you use our products and things like that, but we're not pushing our products to you guys, and uh, that's not what this show is about. But uh, we do have a good history with your company, and uh, you're ver- you're very good. But can you inform our listeners a little history about Gothic and, and the brothers and how it all started and where you are today? Hi, Rob and Chris. Thanks for having us. This is Nick, and I'm going to give you a little update on Gothic and our, our story. So uh, the Gothic story begins in the, in the San Fernando Valley, and the company was operated by the Giorgio family, and it began under Luis Giorgio, and he ran a small finished grade, fine grading operation, and unfortunately, he passed at a young age in 1984, and his wife, Judy, and his oldest son, Michael, who was 21 at the time, 
uh, incorporated the company in, under a different name, under Gothic Landscape, which was the street they grew up on out of the garage they were operating out. And they went to all their clients, and they asked their clients for a chance to service the account. And their clients took a chance on them. And here we are today operating in three states, California, Arizona, Nevada, with over 2,500 employees. And it's still operating under the Giorgio family. And uh, Mike Giorgio was instrumental in growing the business in the early years with his mother, Judy. John joined the company when you finished college. And the family dynamic has just been one that we've relied on throughout the years because the culture has been what drives us to grow for our people. Oh, so let's look at, let's, I'm sorry, Rob, go ahead, buddy. Oh, no, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, hey, you know, you told us where, where it is you operate, three states, California, Arizona, and uh, Nevada. But uh, just looking at the team questions coming in from our listeners, kind of what we know your service area. What's your service? Offering. I mean, what are the what are the types of services that uh, the, the Gothic provides? Either one. Yes. Yeah, so, so we, you know, we provide all aspects of landscape management. Uh, landscape management includes maintaining the grounds, but it's not just maintenance. We seek to appreciate the landscape assets for our clients, whether they're HOAs, commercial campuses. Uh, we have also organic horticulture programs. Our services include irrigation, include water management. We kind of do a little bit of separation between the two. Design and renovation, uh, construction, and also some environmental restoration. Uh, but, you know, within in, in some, you know, arbor care type work in under each of these specialties, then, you know, there's subspecialties. Well, so you do you guys do a lot. You know, Dada, Dada I, I, I don't think you would remember me because it was just for a brief moment. And um, it was with Tom Donnelly. I know I know, you know, Tom. <laughs> yes, I do. And, and years ago, I was up visiting with them when you were somebody else and, and I was walking down the hall with him and he he had a question for you and, uh, and then he said oh this is so-and-so from the Toro company and that, and that was it that was all that was all the intro that I had with you in the interface with you but from all the people that I know from that company and a lot of people now from Gothic I, I know you're sort of a I'll call you a special person because you you kind of achieved a real high mark in the landscape maintenance business and and I know you have a unique story about how you entered into the landscaping business. Can you tell us uh, what drew you into that? How, how, how did that happen? Absolutely. But first, I have a question for you. Do you remember the question that I was asked? No. No, do I? No, do I? It was it was you know it was a long time ago. Yeah, and then, I know, and, I know. And, and then and then and then I had to go see Sperber after that. So I don't remember much <laughs> of that. Yeah. It was, I was I was just standing beside him when he walked by and said, "Oh, I have a question for you," and just rattle something yeah. off. And I kind of stepped aside. Yeah. I didn't want any. I didn't want to really listen into what he was talking to you about. And yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, no, that was no. that was the only time that I've ever seen you in person. <laughs> 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 well, I'm still as short as when you saw me the first time years ago, and probably shrinking. So, but my story <laughs> in the landscape. <laughs> is the following. Um, 
you know, my brother and sister are medical doctors, and I did not want to be a doctor. So I told my mom, I want to be a plant doctor because I love the outdoors. So I got a bachelor and a master's in plant pathology in, in at the American University in Lebanon, and then came here as a again as a student and studied horticulture again at Cal Poly. And uh, from there on, I started as a gardener at environmental care. And when I came to the country, I just had $5 in my pocket. And I don't ask me how I did that. I have no clue. Now I would be scared. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and I started actually as a gardener at the time environmental care, which then became, you know, Valley Crest. And um and I was a gardener for a while, and the guys did not know that I spoke Spanish. So, you know, nada is not the name you forget. It means nothing. So they thought that uh, my parents did not want me, so they called me nada. And I uh, uh, took bets on when I was going to quit, and I didn't quit. And they raised $365, Then I told them I knew Spanish, and... Uh, and we we had a big party, and my career started from there on. Then I became a foreman and managed, you know, crew. I mean, one crew, then a few crews, then a supervisor, and then the story, you know, goes from there. And uh, when I left uh, Valley Crest uh, at the time after it was uh, purchased by Brightview, um, I was a senior uh, VP for the Pacific Northwest, and I consulted with few companies and fell in love with Gothic and started as a COO in 2017. Oh. Well, that's, a, that's, that's an awesome story. You know, Chris Chris is a uh, alumni of Cal Poly, so I'll let him jump in now. <laughs> well, you're, you're, nice. You're anticipating my question, Rob. So the important, the important question for me, Anata, is which Cal Poly, the real one or the other one? <laughs> Well, Devon, I I can tell you where I went, but I'm not going to tell you if that's the real one or not. But I went to San Luis Obispo. I, I worked for a professor. Uh, I was a research assistant for a professor while doing my master somewhere else, and he actually sponsored me. Great. So I don't end up in the streets. And he was a teacher at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Well, that's great. It's always been a it's always been a friendly rival. I am a Cal Poly Pomona grad myself, ornamental whore, landscape architecture. So, nice. uh, Dr. Joe Hung and and all those guys were were back then because that was back in nineteen. Blah, blah, blah. So I won't mention yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a while ago. It yeah. was a while ago. So, um, hey Nick. So I think in the in the uh, in the aspect of fairness, we should probably give you a chance I, to tell us what brought you into this business as well. How did you get involved in the landscape industry? Well, uh, believe it or not, I, I grew up off of Gothic, not the same Gothic, but I grew up in a, and I knew Mike Giorgio as a kid. And Mike Giorgio used to pick me up and take me to job sites, but he would not let me out of the vehicle. And uh, on the weekends, I'd be out there with him and his daughter and, and checking out jobs and really fell in love with the industry. And as a kid, he always told me, I can't hire you unless you graduate from one of the top schools in Southern California. And I picked UCLA and I did. And I actually started working for him as a senior at, at UCLA. And um, I've been there 22 years. That's an awesome story. 
So, so the, the part, years. the part with his daughter was that something more? <laughs> Just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you We're mentioned still that. very good friends, and uh, no, no, it's not like that. <laughs> trying to stir, stir up a story. Um, yeah. All right. So let's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's take a look at uh, let's take a look at Gothic a little bit deeper, if you will. I mean, I know that um, having great employees, training your employees, uh, incentivizing. I know all of that stuff is important to Gothic. So so, um, you know, how many of your how many of your staff have certifications? I know I'm talking about the folks that, that go out uh, uh, in the field and what what sort of um Certification and training do you provide? Yeah, so um, so in terms of you know the irrigation certification, uh, we you know obviously there's many different certification. We have certified irrigation technicians, about you know fourteen or fifteen certified landscape auditors. We have nine certified irrigation designers. We have three and certified irrigation contractors. We have in, in addition to that, we have our own Gothic curriculum and training in terms of the text in Spanish and English that we kind of develop, you know, internally uh, that that is in the field. In in uh, so that's in terms of the irrigation. We also have some backflow specialists, about six of those, and recycled water supervisors, at least in the irrigation. Um, in terms of training, I'll, I'll have uh, Nick uh, talk a little bit about the expanded training, if you will, Nick. So we, we do have other training in horticulture, um, which is both in-house as well as outsourced. We did uh, a lot of work with the landscape industry certification through Planet or ALCA, what used to be called ALCA. Yep. And we have a lot of uh, employees that went through different modules internally and we taught them how it applies to our business first but also got them certified as they went through each module of training whether it's human resources operations water management irrigation and uh, that's been a great tool for us in the uh, landscape industry certified spectrum we also uh, attend conferences we have soft skills training through computers and it's not just operationally based, it's business based. Yeah, that's great. So IA certification, I'm sure maybe uh, Irrigator Tech as well. Those guys, um, I think I've seen you on their roster before. Yep. Oh, yeah. Richard, <laughs> worked with Richard for many years uh, through Irrigator Technical Training. And, um, of course, we have the other credentials, employees through ISA and uh, other Arbor certifications and the qualified applicators. Yeah, I've known Richard Dayton, Mitchell and Marcy uh, many, many, many years. Uh, we, go, <laughs> we go way, way, way back. In fact, I helped Richard and Marcy uh, start Irrigator Tech. I helped them write their uh, initial set of classes that they did, and, and I've consulted to them many times in writing those classes. So, so, uh, uh, so I know them very well. Um, Let's talk about, or, or Rob, maybe you can go on to the water management part of the questions. I, or you, you know me, I'll take over the question to list if you let me. <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want. I trust you a thousand percent. I, I do want to just say something first about uh, one of your employees, and I don't know his last name, 
um, and his name is Brandon. Just for the listeners, and again, I have no angster or or ownership or stock. You know, it's a private company that they have, and and uh, but I got to tell you, we there was some uh, question that we had across. We live across from a park, and we had uh, some questions on it. So my wife called called up, and this gentleman Brandon came by, and, and it was interesting talking to him. He came from another company from in in Riverside County, and um, then he came here. Uh, he, my wife said he was the nicest guy that she's ever met in the, in the, in the landscaping business who answered <laughs> questions directly and was very courteous. He listened and he explained things to her and she was so satisfied. She says, I'm glad you guys hired me. Cause I was on the landscape. I was doing the landscape committee here. They asked me to give him some technical assistance and I, and I, I did. And, um, Anyway, she was very pleased with that and told everybody in the world. So now when Brandon comes by, all the neighbors know who he is now, and they're very happy with him. So I, that's, that's a positive for your company. So I just wanted you just to know that and give him a shout-out if he ever hears this or gets a hold of the podcast. So anyway, thank you for that. Um, but when it comes to water management, you know, that seems to be the, the biggest thing on everybody's mind these days. I just heard today that uh, President, President Biden and the Bureau of Reclamation are, has signed something that as of the 1st of January 2023, they're going to cut back 20% of the water that Arizona receives from the Colorado River. So I see things getting here really sticky as, as mm-hmm. the same thing is happening in L.A. and up north and on Nevada, I mean, all over the place. What what I know your people are schooled in water management because you you, you got to have good irrigators and things of that sort. How do you explain those things to the to the HOAs or the commercial properties? You know, the, all they care about is curb appeal. <laughs> and that's number yeah. one. Number two, why are we spending so much money on water? <laughs> yeah. So tell us, yeah. Tell us a little how you approach that with your customers and such. Yeah. So listen, usually for us, we kind of differentiate irrigation and water management. So we try to explain to the customer, it's like hardware and software and the software continues to evolve. Even the hardware has to change all the time. So that's the pipes and everything, right? So with irrigation, there is, you know, wear and tear, there's pipes that that run through the community. And then in, you know, water management, it is is a little bit different. It encompasses your your hardware, but it's like the whole basically system, right? Right. And that that's obviously the technology is moving very fast and, you know, uh, managing water usage, uh, uh, using flow sensors, watering, you know, next to the fibrous roots. It, it's it's the whole education because, you know, for the clients as well as some people who are in my own family, right, that they don't understand water is water. So uh, what what basically we do is, again, we explain the infrastructure, which is irrigation. Then we talk about water in terms of, this is a resource. A gallon of water is an acre of landscape, uh, a square foot of landscape uses whatever, 50 gallons of water in this area, that area. 50 gallons cost so much right now. If we look at the future, that price is escalating, and this is what the cost of water is going to be. But we don't have as much water, so the supply is going to go down by, you know, it already has gone down, right? 
Um, so the supply has gone down. The cost of water is escalating. And so now we have to make decisions as a team on what we need to do because we have to appreciate the asset, the, the landscape asset, and it requires water, right? So our services go from anywhere from like diagnosis and repairs and proactive diagnosis is the key. Uh, so when we talk to clients, we say, even when we send bills, we usually quantify how much water that whatever broken head or bro- broken pipe could have, you know, wasted. And then, you know, design and upgrades, and then we do some ROIs for them. And, and, you know, a lot of cases now people are more interested in water management and flow management and recycled water and so forth. So um, that's, I hope I answered your question, Rob. No, yes, <laughs> yes, you did. Okay, perfect. You know, yeah, I'm going to tell you, Rob, there's so many challenges, you know, water management challenges that come along or resource challenges and things like that. But um, Anata and, and Nick, of course, if you, either of you can answer this question. But we always ask, what what did other companies, what do other segments of our industry experience over the last three years? It's been challenging from the pandemic side, the lockdown. And now we're starting to see inflation issues crop up and creep into our business. Kind of, you have some comments on that that the two of you can make, and how how kind of you've handled that, how it's affected your business, maybe. Yeah, uh, Nick, I'll have you do the pandemic, and then I'll talk a little bit about the inflation. And by the way, both our names are ND initials. <laughs> yeah, Nick initial, yeah. we are ND Square. It's easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's true. So, so on on the COVID side, you know, there was there was some positives and there was some absolute challenges. Uh, surprisingly, it forced everybody to use technology and get a little bit faster on uh, how to work remote and be productive and efficient outside the office. So that was actually really good for us because now we have that technology and we're forced to use it. We actually got a little creative with some of our clients when we couldn't be on site, where we did some digital walkthroughs on jobs. And um, we've learned a lot through this pandemic. On the challenging side, of course, logistics and managing labor were, were like no other, no other time before. And delivering that message of, you know, how we're dealing with the supply chain and how we are trying to stay in front of uh, what's going to happen next with, you know, counties shutting down and are we even allowed to operate? It was, it was a big challenge. But ultimately, the clients had more time to focus on their landscape, and we actually had opportunities to provide improvements to the properties, and it was it was a positive effect in that regard. Uh, from a company perspective, you know, Gothic, I'm really proud of how we navigated through the pandemic. We had a weekly call with our executive management team uh, from day one, and we, we discussed the issues and how we were going to approach it. We projected out what could happen next. We had scenarios. We're actually able to order, you know, PPE and secure some much-needed supplies before the demand got so huge that others couldn't get it. So, really happy about that. And ultimately, our people were so thankful for our approach because we focused on keeping our employees safe, and they really appreciated it. Even though it created crazy logistical challenges, having maximum two people in a big truck getting the job servicing them and ultimately they're very thankful and they're still loyal for that care we gave them well, that's awesome that's 
for our, for our listeners, because we have a lot of people who belong to the CAI for uh, you know property management companies and everything else. We have a big audience in in, in that world. Um, how can they reach you? Where you know, because in, in, I, I know they're always looking to change their contractors that they have. And you guys provide a, a super excellent <laughs> service, and, and and that's you know we're we're here to promote you. You're a good company, and so how can they get a hold of you? And Rob, thank you for that. We we are absolutely active in CAI and, and local chapters as well as the national chapter. So you can always find us there. We have a website www.gothiclandscape.com, and easy Google us, and you'll find us right away. Uh, and we're very. Uh, approachable off the internet okay great and one 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 kind of last thing i um we, i know we don't have a whole lot more time and we'll probably want you to come back and talk about some other things and but where do you where do you both see the future of water in the u.s yeah so listen i mean the effect of climate change is have become a lot more apparent right so coupled with that the southwest being a very dry area and years of heavy water has added so much pressure on, on that availability, where 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 we see it going is the resources are going to be, of course, more limited. The cost is going to go higher. And where how do we fix this so the industry survives? Because we still need plants to affect climate change in a positive way. And I think that's where the excitement and the challenge is going to be. What is it? How can we use the less water than we have? Even if we had a lot, how can we mitigate the cost? And how can we keep maintenance and landscape going in the various areas so we can continue affecting our environment, but then also beautifying uh, 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 the outdoor environment? Uh, but we see it getting it getting worse. We see the technology getting pe- better, but we see the cost and the availability truly impacting uh, um, all our lives, professionally and personally. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, people think, oh, I can go get non-potable water, but, you know, that's going to go up too. Uh, nothing's nothing's going to be free anymore. And, you know, there's so many new technologies out for atmosphere, water harvesting, you know, all kinds of things, inland desalination and all of that. So, yeah. This Gray is what, water. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, absolutely. So, hey. I you, do think it's going to allow us to be more creative in general. It's going to take a lot of the states to have some unselfish creativity to make it work for everybody. And that's going to be key in, my, in our opinion. Absolutely. Hey, we are very thankful that you guys came on the show today. We'd love to have you back. Uh, in the near future, and continue continue some good discussions, and and get get people from HOAs and, and commercial properties to understand more about the things that a, a commercial landscaper, a landscaping maintenance company, has to go through. Because there's lots of stories that we both we all can share with each other, but uh, it would be really good information to the uh, to our listening audience. So again, Nada, thank you, thank you very much. Nick, thank you, thank you very much. We appreciate you coming and taking the time to come on our show. Well, we thank you for the opportunity. This was fun, and we'd love to come back. So we do appreciate the opportunity, and uh, yes. Okay, good. And I will call Tom and ask him what the question he asked you. So. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he remembers. <laughs> hey, thank you guys so much. We, we appreciate it. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you guys you have a great day. All right, you too, both of you. Thank you. 
Thank you. We're going to take a little break, commercial break, from one of our, a couple of our sponsors, and we'll be right back with one of our featured guests, who is, happens to be, ironically, a sponsor of the show. But uh, we're very proud of them as well. So stick around. We'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes. A better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSeries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. K C. A. A. All right, uh, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starline with Chris Dady, and uh, we're glad you're uh, tuning in to us. We have a special, our featured guest today, and we're very proud of uh, their sponsorship with the show, and that's not the reason we ask them to come on the show. We want to help promote them and, and give an insight to what their their company does, which is uh, really important to all of our listeners because you can go to their places and buy what you need. So uh, i like to welcome a gentleman named Brad Lipsy, and he is with Site One Landscape. Uh, welcome, Brad. Uh, welcome, Brad. Hey, Robin, Chris. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure joining both of you this evening. Um, you know, as you said, my name is Brad Lipsey. I work on the category management team for Site One Landscape Supply. We're located in uh, our field support office is located in Roswell, Georgia. 
Um, speaking of Georgia, I guess it's been a, it feels like it's been a little wet last couple of weeks, uh, maybe overcast. Uh, hopefully <laughs> we've managed to stay below 90. Uh, at least I like to think we have, uh, I think good news, you know, what we're nine days away from the college football season kicking off. I, I like to convince myself cooler temps around the corner, even though that's not the case, Rob, I know you're a Georgia tech guy. We got them kicking off here. What labor day against Clemson in the bend. Very exciting. Um, as somebody pulls for them myself. I feel like I can say this, uh, you know, it might be a tough season again for him, but we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. We'll, we'll see. So, uh, so in Roswell, do you have an area 51? <laughs> no, not this way. I think you're thinking of New Mexico. I am. I am. I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in. <laughs> the name. There you so, go. Uh, tell, tell us a little about site one and, and, and the products that you guys provide, because I mean, you are the largest landscape, uh, supply company in the U.S. and in North America, period. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's correct. So uh, as you pointed out, largest uh, wholesale distributor landscape supplies. We have six, roughly 620 locations. Uh, we've got four DCs. We cover about 45 states. We've got six Canadian provinces, continuously adding to the list. So this year alone, I think we've acquired eight different companies. We, might, I mean, we may have had nine as of yesterday. I believe, with our announcement. Um, primarily, we serve residential commercial landscape professionals. We sell irrigation, hardscapes, agronomics, nursery, outdoor lighting, landscape supplies. Uh, and within those segments of business, our customers serve new construction markets, maintenance and repair, upgrade, uh, as well as upgrade, uh, repair and upgrade bin markets, too. So we stock about and sell about 135,000 different SKUs. Um, and then we add... Uh, we have we provide value add services on top of product support, and that can vary by location. Some of our stores specialize in a certain the certain type of the product segment, like nursery and agronomics and hardscapes. Um, we estimate the industry as a whole is about twenty three billion dollars, and Site One makes up about fifteen percent of that. So, if anybody's interested in learning more, they can certainly head out to Site One dot com. Absolutely, Chris. Yeah, so I'm going to ask a question for you, Brad. I'm going to I'm going to add to Rob's welcome to the show. By the way, it's great to have you on. You're great sponsors of the of the show. We appreciate it and uh, have some sort of uh, mention of Site One just about every episode we do. But let me ask you this: This is a question that we've asked people as they come on the show. Most people have some sort of a story about how they got involved in the green industry or the irrigation industry, or land landscape industry. Um, how how did you come about? Did you you know did you just crack into this business right out of school or, or is there a more background? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, I majored in the supply chain industry and I started my, my uh, career in that with a transportation company. I moved up to North Carolina and went to work for a big box organization um, on the supply chain side as well. And then uh, I'm from the area in, in Marietta, Georgia, and my wife and I wanted to head back this way. Um, and it was kind of just a, a perfect storm of events, really. I found an opportunity with, at the time, with John Deere Landscapes prior to becoming Site One Landscape Supply. Sure. To be yeah. honest, wasn't overly familiar. I, I, you know, I had the background of the big box and, and kind of knew of opportunities in that space within the Atlanta market. But uh, this one presented itself right as everything was transitioning from the JDL days to Site One. And I've been super fortunate. What an amazing company to work for and an organization that's, you know, growing and changing and evolving. And obviously, as you, as we talked about, you know, one of the largest, the largest in the industry. So um, that's kind of how I came into it. Um, you know, I, and I get to learn a lot from folks who have been in this space for a long time. Our, 
we got a lot of folks that have been in and around this industry uh, for years, decades, um, and you know they've been helpful in allowing me to lean on them to pick up some knowledge as I as I work my way through learning this industry. Well, I appreciate giving us that background, but uh, you know a, a question for uh, for our listeners, some of them chiming in and typing on the keyboard because we have uh, you know we have a little text screen on here that we can see. So a lot of people familiar with Site One know that there's a big there's a broad product offering. Uh, a broad service offering, but on the service side, the outlooking, uh, looking outside, we know that you have training and special services uh, also available for your customers. Can you touch on that a little bit, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I'll, I'll kind of break it into two segments. We'll start with the training piece. Um, a lot of local trainings, variety of manners. We can do lunch and learn type settings. We can do demos. We can do on-the-job training. But on a formal level, for our, our contractor base, we host what's called Site One Universities. Uh, these are customer education events. Folks can broaden their knowledge, comprehension, and skills. Um, they also feature state board and association CEUs or continuing education units. Classes are taught on pest management, on irrigation, on outdoor lighting, hardscapes, turf management, you name it. Uh, we offer classes in, in Spanish as well, at least some of them. And then bigger ones will actually feature a trade show, too. I think next year we've got 35 on the docket, um, and then we've got a couple national virtual universities. If you head out to site1.com, there's a top right portion of this tab, so you can find, like, kind of what's upcoming in that space. And then on the special services side, I think there's a few things that come to mind. One would be project services team. we got folks that are committed to helping contractors grow their bottom line, and that's through the support of commercial bids, so sourcing, generating leads, uh, you know, custom irrigation design, material takeoff. We've got a pretty cool tool called PX3, which is for our agronomic applications. It basically takes a satellite image, it's kind of Google Earth image, if you will, and the team can dial in a square and linear foot footage, excuse me, square and linear feet for fertilizer, control products, snow and ice, again, all from a, a simple image. And then something else that comes to mind, we've been building out customer growth programs. And uh, we started on the lighting side. We've worked our way into drainage and irrigation as well. The goal there is really to build a starting point for our customers who are looking to grow their business into a new service area. So let's say you've got a hardscape company and you don't, you're not installing lighting today. Or let's say you've got an irrigation company and you're not installing drainage. That company owner probably has a great customer base and is consistently on jobs where folks are spending you know, some good money to enhance their outdoor living areas, lawn, landscape area in some capacity. And then a lot of times, it would make a whole lot of sense to suggest an outdoor lighting install or a drainage install or, or something along those lines. So our programs are a great way for contractors to get started. Um, you can take a spin on site1.com forward slash equip for lighting or equip for drainage or irrigation growth to learn more. But I think the, my favorite thing about the programs is they're there to get folks started, but they all, we also have skilled associates at the local market that will is assist with the install, with the demo, with pricing, with design, with troubleshooting. Basically... We will coach as much as needed and, and help our contractors build out that new service, which is a huge value add, in my opinion. And two more special services I'll touch on. You know, an interesting tool, we just launched this. It's new online. It's our project estimator tool. It looks at real-time inventory and pricing. And within minutes, contractors can go in. They can create estimates for products, labor, other costs, what have you, customize with a logo, add contact info, and send directly to their customer for review. And uh, pretty cool out there on, online. Pretty cool video we've got posted on that as well. And lastly, Rob and Chris, I think this is going to be close to your heart. Uh, controller trade-in program. We just finished year two of it. Um, 
both both years I would say were were quite successful and very exciting for us. So premise behind that, we run a basically a promotional program where a contractor can bring in an old contract or excuse me, an old controller and trade it in for a discount on a new one. So the the neat part about this is the holistic benefit that it provides. So contractors get a selling tool. Hey, I I can provide a discount, which creates additional profit for me. Homeowners get upgraded to a smart controller. It increases their watering efficiency or decreases wasted water while lowering their bills. And then we partner with a, an awesome organization called Blue Star Recyclers who recycle every controller that is returned during the promotion. Plus, they primarily employ people with autism and other disabilities. I actually got to visit their facility in Denver, I think it was last year, and it, it was pretty easy to see how much pride they take in what they do. It's a program that we're super proud of and, and look forward to build on for you know, years to come. Oh, that's that, that's really awesome. <laughs> that's, Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. Hey, so so let's flip flip side. Instead of covering your contractors, how how does Site One interface with their suppliers and learn about all the new products? So I'd say a couple different levels there. I mean, you start you know, somebody like myself. So I'm on the field support side or our category teams. We interact with our suppliers on a daily basis, and part of our role within the company is to help grow sales, and that can be tied to supporting a release of new products. Um, a piece of that is maybe systematic, proper proper setup, data management. Part is drawing awareness via communication outlets to our field teams. It can also just be working closely with marketing, our marketing team specifically, on additional content, advertising, email campaigns, social media search, or maybe it's just loading content to our store monitors and store monitors. And then on the field side, you have local teams of our suppliers. You have local teams of Site One Sales Associates who work together to create awareness and share knowledge of new products. And some of those might just be, hey, this is the latest version of what's already existing in market and customers are inherently going to know exactly what that is. Uh, and others might just require some additional training. And lastly on that, I think, you know, our field teams and our category teams work very closely with our supply chain teams to then work with suppliers to support sales through adequate stocking levels of our inventory. Awesome. Good job. You know, you probably, I think maybe uh, you you were on uh, when you heard our last guest, Gothic Landscape, a big landscaping contracting firm out here in the Southwest. We were asking them about the challenges of the last three years, especially that was presented by, you know, the, the COVID uh, pandemic and lockdown. And now uh, what we're seeing is economic impacts from supply chain and inflation and all that kind of stuff. From the perspective of Site One, if you care, kind of share with our uh, listeners kind of how that affected your industry, your business. Yeah, no, good question. So I did get to catch a little bit of, of the Gothic landscape team and hear them touch on this too and, and interesting from their perspective. But uh, hey, COVID, along with every other person in the U.S. or, or worldwide, excuse me, impacted us in several ways. Um, so, you know, if you think about early in the pandemic, certain businesses were deemed essential and the green industry was one of them. And I think just based on that alone, we were very fortunate to keep our employees and our customers working. Um, you touched on it for a second. You know, one, it impacted demand. I think we saw a shift in how homeowners spent their money. A lot of families, you know, spending more time at home or working from home or taking less vacation. And that spin was transferred to work that our customers provide. So new irrigation systems, new stone and patio paters, paver patios, uh, upgraded landscaping, maybe a new drainage system, outdoor lighting. And it wasn't only new projects, you know, a lot was repair or upgrade stuff that maybe people put off for years and finally got around to. And, you know, new construction and maintenance remained strong. So when you think about demand and how it, it, you know, it was for those two, whatever, two and a half years, 
that was a plus. Now, you also touched on this. So the increased demand in some cases or many cases outpaced supply, and that creates some massive challenges. So our supply chain teams begin addressing product constraints across multiple, if not every product category we had or have. Um, they did everything, honestly, they could domestically and internationally to obtain products and better the position of our sales teams and our customers. I think they did a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of those constraints still exist today. It's, it's certainly an ongoing challenge. In many cases, we have gotten better, but I wouldn't say we're out of the woods just yet. Um, and then, you know, lastly, you, you can probably guess what comes from increased demand and a decrease in supply, but unprecedented amount of of, of cost increases over the last few years, like nothing we've ever seen as an organization. So we actively work to mitigate the impact of those increases to our customers, but, you know, often they were were inevitable. So those are the probably three prime increased demand, supply constraints, cost increases that were key impacts that come to mind regarding COVID. But I, honestly, I, I truly believe our teams, our suppliers, our professional contractors all rose to those challenges and provided in customers with the best experience possible. Yeah, and it was great that we actually got classified as an essential business or essential industry uh, dur during the uh, during the pandemic uh, uh, as well. We at Toro were certainly proud of of our continuing efforts to to provide the services and the products that we do. So, hey, great! That was a uh, great roundup from you. Uh, appreciate that a lot, Brad. Uh, Rob. Well, yeah, let's kind of stay a little bit on that. So, countries, a lot, at least in the Southwest, has experienced a current drought. And I was telling people from uh, Gothic that uh, I guess uh, President Biden and the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation signed some document that they're going to they're going to uh, eliminate 20 or cut back 20 percent of the water to Arizona starting January 2023, which is going to be a big shock to everybody here. <laughs> uh, and, and that's kind right. of. But but let me ask you a question, a, a secondary thing to that, or that really wasn't a question, but. So when it comes to utilizing water more efficiently, do you think that more water agency and districts or the federal government will really start to mandate the use of some of these products? I know in California, in 2012, they said everybody had a, all, all new controllers sold in California has to be smart irrigation controllers. That even though that was passed as a as a as a, a released law, that isn't the way it is. <laughs> you can still go by a standard clock. As you were right, and, and, and do you do you see with these new quote green deals and the climate things that are happening around? Do you see the federal government stepping in saying, okay, everybody has to stop making regular controllers and they have to make smart controllers and they have to have pressurized spray heads and they have to have you know high efficiency nozzle? Do, do you think that time is going to come? I know, I know cities are implementing some of those things on the local level, but it's still not across the country. Just like. Rain sensors. Rain sensors are in 17 different states that are required, but the rest of the country, no. What? How do you see that? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the one piece of that that comment that, that kind of stood out was, you know, do we ever hit the point where we're going to OEMs and saying, hey, you can no longer manufacture product that you have for as long as you have? I think it would, unfortunately, probably take something pretty drastic for us to hit that point. I think you kind of also touched on, like, from a local level. I think you are going to see more, you know, either regulation or incentives to continue to build out focus and conservation with through smart controllers, through low precipitation spray nozzles such as the the Toro Precision nozzle or a low precip emission device, 
Um, you think about, you know, a lot of public agencies and water purveyors have recognized the need for products like that and getting the most out of the water they tap into. Flow sensors, Gothic mentioned that on the call too. So those go hand in hand with smart controllers and have become more common. And if you think about it from a sense of monitoring use, you can also then alter how the system is being used, thus reducing the amount of water wasted. So to answer your question, I think, you know, we're going to see the increase of regulation in utilizing water more efficiently. Um, whether that be, you know, local, how large, that's it, it'd be a very interesting question. I mean, you may have touched on it at the beginning of the show. I, I don't know if I caught it or not, but in addition to what you mentioned with what Biden signed today, I believe is, you know, the $4 billion that were included in the in Inflation Reduction Act is a good example of something being mandated by the federal government. That's not as much to say, hey, you're only going to manufacture smart controllers, you know, going forward, you know, here. But I, I think it's only going to become more popular um, you know, as we move forward, you know, as to what length, you know, to be determined. Yeah, I, I know for a man, you know, from the manufacturing side, uh, and being public companies, we have to worry about inventory and things of that. How many SKUs do you have? And, and that gets to be oh yeah. You know, some states don't say you have to have regular have regular pressure regulated spray bodies. Well, so now now you have to have we have to have two different versions. <laughs> And, and so that, that doubles our excuse. And I'm sure the same situation comes with product that you guys buy. And, and there gets to be a point where there's, what do you do for shelf space? You know, it gets it gets a logistic nightmare. Right. Yeah, it absolutely does. Work. It does, yes. And that's something we have to be cognizant of, too. Like, as you mentioned, publicly traded company. And inventory is a big investment on our front. It's something we have to be very aware of. And I, you know, I hope, I, I don't know that, you know, I hope that regulation is mandated in that sense, because as you mentioned, there'll be a lot of product out there either on our shelves in a home, you know, somewhere that, you know, then quickly becomes outdated because it's, it's not easy to walk away from. But I think over the course of time, you will only see more popularity in the smart controls. I mean, think about any other industry, really, you know, there's adaption to technology within every home, really. You think about yep. what you do today, smart TVs, you know. Google, Alexa, all those things. So, well, your 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 laundry, your dishwasher, your refrigerator—it's right. all it's, it's all that way. Chris, yeah. So, as a tangent to the the um, you know smart technology and all that sort of stuff, the drought is still in full force out here in the in 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 the West, as you know for sure, Brad. But you know, kind of, can you give us you know we and we know it's geographical, we know it's regional, we know even in some cases it's local. So. How does Site One view the the drought? What kind of things are you starting to think about um, at Site One as it relates to your business and the drought in the West? Yeah, no, as you mentioned, so particularly in the West, but I, I think we're seeing the landscape market starting to shift, and it takes a little bit of time, but we'll see an uptick in in hardscape products, an uptick in drip irrigation systems, in synthetic turf, and likely in some drought resistant plant material as well. As somebody on your show. This two weeks ago mentioned the the consumer education on drought resistant plants because they can end up getting watered at the same rate as non drought resistant plants, which is an interesting topic. But I think a, a lot of our customers' projects in those spaces will probably continue to place more awareness on conservation and irrigating more efficiently. So some of the stuff we talked about, pressure regulation, smart controllers, uh, drip. I mentioned a few sec- seconds ago, along with flow sensors. And I bet we also see a rise in popularity on just generally speaking turf reduction projects uh, that focus on xeriscaping with native plants or 
limestone and hardscapes or rock garden features, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, let me let me just tag on to that a bit, Robin. I know you got a, another question you want to ask too, but just looking forward at, uh, you know, in, in, uh, into the future, Brad, let me put it this way. If somebody came uh, yesterday from the government and made Brad Lipsy the czar of water in the U.S., what what would you what what kind of things would you be thinking at? What do you see as the future of water and landscaping here in our country? You know, I think maybe this is just a you know hyper you know me issue, but I, I drive around our neighborhood and I see a fair amount of runoff on those systems. So I think that immediately, and I know that's not like the major portion of where water is going if you think about agriculture versus you know homeowner, but if it if I if it relates to me, I think about an easy fix, something like that, where you have, you know, a limited amount of runoff where you can manage it, and maybe that starts with smart controls. That you know, maybe it starts with the pressure regulation, but there's you know a maintenance program of some kind that is easy for a homeowner to kind of click a button. They go out to their their local website and hey, yeah, I want to partake in that. I know what I have is not great, and they pay a nominal fee that a contractor would come out, take a look at the system, assess it. And then maybe, you know, come up with some sort of plan that's affordable that, you know, is also subsidized by their local community. I, maybe that's fine in the sky. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, you see some of those things out there today that you can get out on find, you know, a website allows you to click a button, figure out quickly what you have access to that provides that rebate. And I think the easier we make it on in customers that probably don't, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about these things, the more inherent they are to, to adapt to them. I know people or manufacturers always say you buy this product, you set it, you forget it, you walk away. But, you know, in, in California, especially with all the spray bodies and, and everything else, I see a lot of low head drainage that people don't even understand how that works or what it is. And, and they waste so many hundreds of gallons of water a day uh, by, by having low head drainage problems. And But I think, you know, what, what, I'm, what I'm really getting at is, is that there needs to be awareness to the public on maintaining an irrigation system because they can they can probably reduce their water 20 to 20 percent to 30 percent by just fixing the, the system that goes bad that they have with with a uh, you know stuck up uh, not you know stuck up pop-ups uh broken nozzles uh you know broken pipes uh all, all kinds of things controllers are set incorrectly uh don't don't put uh, rotors and, and spray heads on the same valve line you know a lot of things can be saved just doing simple things if it's maintained, just like a car. Car runs great, but once it starts, you know, out of oil, out of gas, out of, you know, brake fluid, it doesn't it doesn't operate like it's supposed to operate. And I think, I think the the at least the California Landscape Contractors Association and all the other ones across the country, and and, and the Irrigation Association is doing a good job teaching their contract, teaching the, the participating contractors to educate the customer. I think that's really, really important. Like I said, they can they can improve their usage 20, 20 or 30% easily just by maintaining the system correctly. Do you see that happening in, in the industry with your with your customers? You know, it's, I think it goes back to that training piece, kind of what we were just talking about a second ago is, you know, how do you drive awareness to that back? And I think you you maybe mentioned it, they, you know, they don't necessarily recognize that it's even taking place or, hey, I, you know, I'm just not going to get around to it. And if there's that easy way of, you know, hey, I just got to go out. I got to click a button. I'll sign up for this and somebody's going to come see me. And